Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. My name is Mike Wood. I'm your host, and I have a special guest today. I am joined by one of my teammates, Lauren Brown. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mike. You're making your debut on the podcast. I am. <laughs> um, Lauren, tell us what you do at Work Human. At Work Human, I am a senior copywriter for the global communications team, and I write everything from like the short form copy in emails to all the signage at the Work Human Live event. Yeah. <laughs> You've been with us for over a year now. About a year and a half. A year and a half. And she was wandering around Work Human. If you were at the (laughs) event, you might have seen her. And you're also a published author. I am. I am. Give a plug. Independently. (laughs) Independently. (laughs) You don't have to say independently. (laughs) I did open my own imprint called Little Tree Press. And I do write under the name L.S. Kilroy. Great. So it's young adult novels, but we are very excited for a interesting conversation that we're going to have with Christine Comerford. She is from the Smart Tribes Institute, and she is a neuroleadership-based leadership and culture coach. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you, Mike. It's awesome to be here. Great. Now, I didn't get to see you this year because I was in the Work Human Radio Live booth, but you were at Work Human. It was your second Work Human, right? Yep. And I got to see her. Oh, good. She was phenomenal. Thank you. The room <laughs> was transfixed. It really was. <laughs> and I, uh, it was packed. We had over 700 people. It was oh, really wow. a lot of people. They were crammed in there. I was sitting on the floor <laughs> in the back because there was there were no seats. Yeah, <laughs> we were out of chairs. <laughs> so, Christine, give us a little bit of your background. What do you focus on? Yeah, so what we do is we take the latest neuroscience research and then we map the stuff that we think is useful. We map it down to very practical tools and techniques for leaders to use to engage and enroll people more powerfully, to navigate growth and change, you know, to build trust. So we really help people lead more effectively and come together more effectively thanks to neuroscience. That's fantastic because there are a lot of emotional triggers that happen during the day on things that you may have to deal with. And as we talk at Work Human, you bring your whole self to work. So that includes all of your emotional baggage. It's true. And Christine, you did mention in your presentation how, you know, having an emotionally resilient team really does increase the ROI of business success. Yes, yes. So in our workshops, in our coaching, in all the organizational development work we do, we find that there's real solid ROI. So some of the stats, people are 35 to 50% more productive. You don't need to hire more people. You need to help them become emotionally resilient, right? So 35 to 50% more productive, a super popular one, 22% or greater increased profit per employee. Uh, we see consistent revenue growth up to even 210% annually. I mean, huge revenue growth, huge profit growth. And then, you know, I think also in today's talent market, it's really important to get those retention numbers up. All of our clients have 90% or greater retention. So, you know, we're recruiting faster, retention, you know, better profit, better revenue. All that stuff really makes an important difference. Oh, and of course, 67 to 100% increase in employee engagement. When your people are saying, thank God it's Monday, 
that's when you know that they're engaged, right? <laughs> I would love to meet one of those people who say, thank God it's Monday. We say, oh, it's Monday. I get to see some of my friends. Just like I take my daughter to daycare and she's going to see her friends at daycare. That's how I view my team of misfits here. Um, so I know that you're pretty famous for the seven steps of mm. kind of building that emotional resilience. Can you give us kind of the Cliff Notes version of that? Yes, yes. So there are seven. And first, let's start with the first four that help us build our individual resilience. And then the last three will really help us build like tribal, you know, group resilience, if you will. So the first one is to release resistance. We spend a lot of time and energy as humans resisting things we don't want, but it takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that. When we're resisting, we're actually kind of energetically pushing against what we don't want. We're focusing on stuff that we don't want, which takes up a lot of mental space, takes a tremendous amount of energy. So it prevents us really from looking at what we do want. So if you have a problem-oriented culture where people are pointing fingers, looking at the problem, we need to shift them to start to look at the outcome. We can do this by taking people from what we call, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, critter state, like a little animal, safe or not, dead or not, fight, flight, freeze to what we call the smart state, where all three parts of their brain are working together. And we'll go over a tool in a couple of minutes for how we actually shift people to focus on what they want. But here's the thing. When we release resistance, we make room for more choice. Human beings will always gravitate to whatever behavior feels best in a given situation. And if there isn't a good feeling behavior, they're going to pick the one that feels least bad. So we want to help people have more behavioral choice so they can navigate growth and change. And step one is to release resistance. Step two, increase rapport with yourself. And when we increase rapport with ourselves, connection with ourselves, we build mental muscles. We calm the mind down. And we use a number of tools to do this. And we'll talk about one in just a couple of minutes as well. But the main thing is, most of us actually don't know what we want. So getting clear on what actually it is that we do want. And then also human beings have parts. We have parts of our subconscious mind that we create to just navigate the world, deal with struggles, etc. And we can have those internal conflicts. Like one of my friends, she wants to lose five pounds, but she likes to eat a lot of chocolate every day. It's like, oh, part of me wants to lose weight, but part of me wants to eat as much chocolate cake as I feel like eating, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, that gives a reason so why yeah. frozen yogurt exists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, just we all have had that experience of conflict within ourselves. So we use some tools to increase rapport with ourselves so we can actually build those mental muscles, calm the mind, make better decisions. Number three is to make new meaning. This is a whopper. This is as big as the releasing resistance is. Making new meaning is actually choosing the story you want to tell. And Shakespeare was right. Nothing is either good or bad. Only thinking makes it so. So when we notice that human beings are meaning-making machines, we have sensory data, zoom in from our five senses, zoom into our brainstem. It then zooms into our mammalian brain. We attach a bunch of feelings to it, and then it zooms to our prefrontal cortex, and we make a decision. So maybe somebody is scowling, and you decide, oh, my gosh, you make meaning that they're unhappy with you. They might just have a stomachache. Mike does this to me all the time. Mike, <laughs> yes, you know. Mike tells me that in meetings I always look mad, and it's you literally do. just my face. I can't help it. You <laughs> look just very angry, face. and that might be Lauren's deep thinking face. 
But Mike makes meaning that Lauren is angry. Interesting. He's like, okay. you looked really mad in that meeting. I was like, everything okay? Problems at home? <laughs> now, here's the problem with making meaning, right? Let's take this a step further. So maybe we decide that Lauren is angry from one little piece of sensory data, which is a visual of her face, right? Then if she's our boss, we might decide, uh-oh, you know, she's angry. Oh, no. We might even make mean that she's angry at me. Oh, no. She's angry at me. I better keep my head down. I better not speak up in meetings. I better not take any risks. I don't want to innovate. I don't want to rock the boat. And now our behaviors have changed. Our identity, I'm in trouble. I'm not valued, you know, etc. Our beliefs, my boss doesn't like me. You know, our capabilities, we're not going to expand our skill set. All this just came from one little piece of sensory data, Lauren's face looking in our mind, angry, and we just changed our behavior. We changed our beliefs and our identity, all that, because human beings are such potent meaning-making machines. So we've got to start to catch ourselves making meaning and say, wait a second, wait a second, how does that meaning feel? Is that really the truth? You know, you don't know until you talk to Lauren, and then she says, no, that's just what I look like when I think deeply. (laughs) So number four, I want you guys to start to go, wow, where do you get in, as everybody, as you learn, where do you get in trouble? Do you get in trouble in resistance? Do you not totally have connection with yourself? Do you make meaning that isn't true and causes you pain? Number four, anchor the outcome that you want. So this is another one that's a little esoteric, kind of like the increasing rapport with self. When we can anchor the outcome that we want, and we actually are talking about in our new book, Power Your Tribe, kinesthetic anchors. Actually, you know, to make success inevitable for ourselves and others, we actually have to create a visual, auditory, kinesthetic, a multi-sensory anchor that we can actually trigger. A lot of our clients will use their right hand and squeeze their left wrist, and they'll anchor a particular state like confidence, power, clarity, whatever, and they'll activate that anchor as they walk into a meeting to make sure that they recall that emotional state. So anchoring is kind of a really sophisticated tool, but it helps us choose our emotional state in tricky situations. And now we're going to get into the tribal resilience. Number five, enroll and engage others. So as we bring emotional resilience and as emotional resilience becomes natural, we quickly use our tools. We use them naturally without even thinking about them. That's how we move into that emotional agility. But we want to enroll and engage others and help them have these tools. First, we need to understand kind of what emotional experience they're asking us for, you know, safety, belonging, or mattering. We talk about that a lot. And then understand why somebody is having challenging behaviors, and it's because they're asking for emotional experiences that aren't being provided to them. I'm not saying babysit people, but I am saying pay attention when somebody is having a challenging behavior because they're actually beneath that behavior asking for something. And friends, it is always a variation of safety or belonging. They're feeling disconnected from others or mattering. They're feeling like they don't matter. So look at which one is not showing up, and that helps you understand how to help them out. Number six, build that tribal agility. So we want to expand and keep change going. And to do that, we have to be able to actually notice kind of what our behaviors are. If we have any sort of distorted thinking, you know, what cultural rituals do we need to put in place to help give that experience of safety, belonging, and mattering? And realize that actually it's an ongoing process. 
We're going to keep helping people become engaged and enrolled because personal life stuff shows up, et cetera. And we need to kind of ongoing build that tribal agility. And then number seven is expand that tribal power. And this is where we all start to get really strong to navigate any obstacles to say, yeah, I would love some feedback instead of ah performance reviews, you know, run screaming and redefine what our personal best is. So as we start to understand these seven steps, as we start to use some of the tools, we start to then notice that we are so much more resilient than we thought we were. Human beings are tremendously resilient. Just often they don't have the tools to help them have that experience. Well, this is great. So speaking of performance reviews, Mm. we believe here in kind of like a constant feedback, but let's say a hypothetical situation that Lauren and I can maybe, you know, kind of act out. Let's say we both are gunning for the same promotion. Now, no one tells Mm. you what to do when you don't get that promotion. So, We'll just say Lauren's going to get the promotion because we'll just make it more real life. (laughs) Um, She's a little bit more polished in the office. So we're going for the same promotion. She gets it. I want to be happy for her, but I feel like I should have gotten it. I feel that I'm angry. I'm going to have to look at her every day. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch. been here longer. I've been here Mm -hmm. longer. I'm going to have to look at everybody congratulating you. And I'm feeling that, Mm -hmm. that I don't belong. What did I do? I'm going to doubt all my abilities. How do I get out of that rut? Yes. Okay. This is where I would use a handful of our tools. First, what's missing in your experience? Is it now you don't feel safe or now you feel that you don't belong or now you feel like you don't matter? So first I would unpack. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I would say all of that. (laughs) Okay. So epic, ouch, right? Safety, belonging, and mattering are missing. So, and it sounds like there's a lot of critter state here. There's a lot of fight, flight, freeze going on. So the first thing I would do then, once you go, whoa, I want all of them. Because safety plus belonging plus mattering equals trust. And when you don't have any of those, whoa, it's a big situation. The first tool I would grab is called maneuvers of consciousness. And we'll have some infographics for everybody in the show notes. But here's the thing. Maneuvers of consciousness takes 12 minutes. It's four steps. Check it out. Step number one, negative evaluation. And I would recommend to Mike that he has a buddy, not Lauren, okay, (laughs) (laughs) as he goes through this. And the buddy is just going to keep the timer, and the buddy is going to zip it. The buddy's going to be totally quiet, but it's going to be easier for Mike to do this with a buddy because if he slows down, the buddy will egg him on, okay? So step number one of maneuvers, negative evaluation. You set your timer for three minutes. Say out loud all the things you don't like about whatever it is you're resisting. You know, her promotion wasn't fair, and I don't feel any safety belonging or mattering. Oh, and she how just brown noses her way to the top. <laughs> exactly. So three minutes of negative evaluation, you don't stop. If you stop, your buddy says, come on, Mike, I know you've got some more in there. Okay, you need to purge all that stuff out. Then you look at our tool called the emotion wheel, and your buddy says, how do you feel? And you say, you know, angry, you know, whatever, disrespected, whatever. You list a bunch of emotions that are probably negative. Shake your body out, okay, because emotions do have energy. Step number two, curiosity. Three minutes. Now you have to get really curious about the situation. You have to look at it from different angles. Well, I wonder how this situation came to be. You know, what's interesting about it? Would this be so irritating if I lived in a different state? Would this be so irritating if I were blonde? Would this be so irritating if it were a year from now? Start to get really curious about the thing that you were negatively evaluating. Three minutes. Timer's up. Look at the emotion wheel. Okay, so now maybe you're in pensiveness. You know, maybe you're in other emotions that aren't quite as painful. Shake it out. 
Then step number three, amazement. Now we become amazed that the situation even came to be. Wow, what's kind of fascinating about, you know, how upset I was about her promotion? What's kind of amazing about it? How can I be kind of so enthralled by it that I can look at it from different angles? So we go through amazement for three minutes, look at the emotion wheel. Now we're probably moving more towards peaceful, powerful, joyful, the bottom half of the emotion wheel. And then we go to step four, full appreciation. Ah, okay, so now we're honoring everything about this. Wow, this has been really helpful, actually. It's helping me see things in a whole new way. Gosh, if I had that promotion, I'd have to, you know, work some nights and weekends. I don't know that I really want that so much, you know. I'd have all that extra money I wouldn't know what to do with. (laughs) Yeah, and just all the responsibility of all that extra cash, you know, et cetera, you know. You know, more complex tax return, possibly. So we go through all of that, and then we look at the emotion wheel, and we notice that from negative valuation to curiosity to amazement to full appreciation, we actually shifted our emotional state. It took 12 minutes. So we don't have to hang out and be miserable for months on end. We can take 12 minutes. Now, here's the thing with maneuvers, though. You can't just leave somebody at full appreciation. Now you have to use the tool called the outcome frame so they can now craft what we call the desired state. And that's a series of questions. So then you go to, okay, now what would I like? All right, good. So it's an outcome I can create and maintain. Well, I want to feel peaceful inside regardless of who's getting promoted, okay? What will happen that do for you? Well, I'll feel powerful. I'll feel like I have choice. I'll feel more engaged and energized. I'll be appreciating myself more, et cetera. Question number three, how will you know when you have it? You know, when somebody gets promoted and I don't get irritated, et cetera. Question number four, what value might you risk or lose? Wow, well, I'm going to have to give up feeling like a victim, and I'm going to have to actually take responsibility for the fact that, like, I don't want to climb the corporate ladder. I'm actually just kind of okay where I am, you know, et cetera. And then number five, when, where, with whom would you like it? I want it at work, you know, right away. And number six, what are your next steps? So as you go through the outcome frame, after the maneuvers, after you've shifted your consciousness, you need to now map out that glorious future. And the outcome frame does that because those two tools will then start to create your own, and this is what I want most for you, Mike, in this situation, your own experience of safety, belonging, and mattering. You will no longer feel powerless and victimized. And you'll go, ah, okay, I see the wisdom in this, et cetera. But I would then third recommend that you sit down with your boss and you say, hey, you know what? I'd like to get more feedback because we don't want you to get blindsided again, you know? And for feedback, one quick tool, feedback frame. And basically it's what's working at your leader or whoever's giving feedback says what's working is, and they list one to three things. And what I'd like to see more of is, and they list one to three things, equal amounts of what's working and what I'd like to see more of. Because when promotions happen that surprise people, it's usually because they haven't been getting feedback or they haven't been asking for feedback. And I find today we have to ask for feedback because leaders are so busy. Yeah. And I love that you're kind of hitting on this need for constant feedback or You have a need. We address this with our conversations, performance management product. I got to plug that. But we address this need that, you know, people today get real time feedback on everything. You know Mm -hmm. exactly where your bank accounts are. You know what's going on in the news. Everything's instant. You don't have a year to sit around and wonder where your place is in an organization or what you need to do. So. I mean, I have a check-in with my manager every week, but I mean, I check in with him otherwise. 
But I always know where I stand and what I need to work on. So I don't have these other negative thoughts kind of filling my head, telling me that I'm not good enough or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm going to get fired the next week. Yeah. Super distracting, those thoughts. And everybody notice meaning making, right? We're going to make meaning that's painful and negative if we don't get actual feedback, because otherwise human beings are meaning making machines. We're going to make up stories. Yeah, and they're usually uh, negative. They're usually negative <laughs> stories. They are because we're wired up to be not dead. That's your reptilian <laughs> brain. It's the most primal part of you. It's not about quality of life. It's about dead or not. <laughs> now, Lauren, let me just kind of pick your brain a little bit. And <laughs> see if there is, I mean, you haven't always worked here, but have you worked at other organizations where you have seen kind of that resistance and negative thoughts spiral. Oh, sure. <laughs> Tell, can you tell us about a little experience um, on the spot? <laughs> I mean, I can tell you as you were going through this exercise with Christine, I was thinking of this one time where I was working in a company. Well, I mean, I won't name the company. No, please don't. I was please. working in a company <laughs> and there was someone. So it was basically one of my colleagues had left and we were really doing the same job, but she was a bit more senior than I was. And so when she left, I thought, oh, well, I'll get promoted to her job and then they'll hire someone to be like kind of what I am. And that didn't happen. They hired someone in for her job. And I was in a real tither like the whole time. I was just mm-hmm. really super negative. I was like, this person's going to come in. And they're not even like I found out who had been hired and like looked at her background. And I was like, she's not even as experienced as I am. And I was real in a tether. And I'd asked my colleague, actually, someone who works with us now, John, who we work together. (laughs) I'd asked him, I said, what should I do when this girl comes in? And he said, welcome her with open arms. And so I did, I did that. And she ended up being one of the most amazing colleagues I ever had. Like she was great. That was really helpful. Like he's, but he's a great colleague. So he gave me good advice. That's great. Mm-hmm. And you were wise enough to follow up because you knew that you were in critter state. And so you weren't thinking yeah. clearly. Yes. Yeah. Your prefrontal cortex was offline. You couldn't make great decisions. Right. It's then. always offline. That's yeah. why I was like angry. <laughs> well, you probably had that look on your face that I see all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, the anger look. But maybe this time she actually meant it. It's why yeah. I don't have wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, excellent. Yes. It's a beauty strategy, too. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I would say in terms of employees, you should always ask for feedback. You should always have some sort of plan that you're working on because if you don't raise your hand, no one's going to raise it for you. Yeah, everyone's too busy. Seriously, (laughs) you have to actually seek out feedback. Christine, what are your thoughts like in having an emotionally resilient team and building that sort of tribal environment? Like how many of your clients do you see have recognition programs? And like what part do you think gratitude plays in it? Yeah, I think gratitude plays a huge role in recognition programs. Everybody thinks that they're a great idea, but I love recognition software because you've got to make it easy or people don't do it. And it's not because they're bad people. It's just because, again, the world is moving faster than it's ever moved. You know, we're all bombarded with information constantly all the time. So recognition is a great way for us to, and the kind of recognition I like is up, down, across the org chart. Anybody can recognize anybody. It's not like it's the leader's job to recognize their people. Everybody should be recognizing everybody. However, the recognition really drops into the brain when it's specific. It's not like, oh, Lauren, you're awesome. So Lauren will get maybe a little sugar high, but then she'll be like, well, 
how can I be awesome again? And how specifically am I awesome? And, you know, what exactly is it that defines awesome to Christine? So it wasn't very helpful for me to give her that. But if I said, hey, wow, Lauren, thank you for being so awesome and modeling our value of accountability. Your work is always done on time, on budget, per spec. You're a great model of accountability. You rocked it on the XYZ project. And I do that publicly. Then everybody else goes, ah, okay, if I personally have some struggles with accountability, I could sit down with Lauren and find out how she does it. So Lauren gets status within the tribe. She gets branding within the tribe. She's known as somebody who's super accountable. And then also she gets safety, belonging, and mattering in the tribe. So specific feedback and praise, if you will, appreciation tied to your company values so that, and public, so people can actually understand how everybody else is contributing. Well, this is fantastic. I got to have you on the show again in in the future, but we are running out of time right now. But I want our listeners to know where they can kind of find more information about what you're doing. Like, where where should they go? Yeah, they can go to smarttribesinstitute.com, smarttribesinstitute.com. And if you guys are kind of thinking, hmm, I wonder how emotionally resilient I am. Go to smarttribesinstitute.com slash E-R-A for Emotional Resilience Assessment. It'll take you just a couple of minutes, and here's what's super cool about it. You start to learn then, oh, I need to work on my tribal resilience because, frankly, I'm personally pretty resilient. You'll understand if you're personally resilient or more tribally resilient. You'll see the areas that you need to work on. And then each of those areas maps to a chapter in our book, How Are Your Tribe? So let's say that you really need to work on increasing rapport with yourself because you gave yourself a low score based on the questions that helped us discern that that was an area of growth for you. Then you go to the corresponding chapter in Power Your Tribe. You use some of the tools and boom, you take the resilience assessment, you know, a few months later and you're like, ah, yes, I'm growing. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Again, my name is Mike Wood. I'm the host of Work Human Radio. And hopefully I saw some of you at Work Human. And Lauren Brown, you want to give us a little sign off? It was a pleasure to be here. I hope to be invited back. (laughs) Christine, it was so great to hear you again. It's good to see you smile, Lauren. It's good to see you. Just so people know, she is smiling at this point. But thanks again for the interview. And we'll talk to you again very shortly. Thank you, guys. Thank you. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019.